You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Uh, I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Joining me as usual is good buddy Ricky Vive, affectionately known as Squid. Squid, how's it going today? <laughs> I don't think I'll have that until I... They put me in a box, I would think, Mike. It's, uh, it's been so long, but uh, I'm doing great. A uh, good golf game today, 75. Mm. Getting pretty yeah. good. Uh, We're going to need that for the yeah. uh, sandbag open with Biznet and uh, Ryan Whitney. Yeah, no problem. I, I, got, I got lots of those left in me. Good. Well, let's not get too cocky, okay? Because it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. So we don't want to get too cocky with these guys. So speaking of which, that's uh, we we you know we had Biz as our guest last week, and uh, he had so much to say. We could have talked to this guy for hours. We split it up into two parts. You're going to hear the second part of that today, and it's pretty funny. So uh, when you when you listen to that, uh, give us some feedback on what you think. We're also going to talk about obviously the the playing up and coming for the Toronto Maple Leafs against Columbus. Uh, Nick Robinson. We've got who I think our producer who we're losing, Mr. Stephen Ellis. Going back to the hockey news, but I call this kid, and I, I call him kid with the most affection you can find for a guy of that age, with the brilliance he has as far as young talent goes. He's a draft savant, I like to call him. So you're going to get a kick out of this guy, and his knowledge is unmatched, believe me, with the prospects coming up. And we want to tie that in with what we were talking about last week, about teams getting pushed up against the cap that may have to make some unnecessary or unpopular moves. And we did mention, and by the way, folks, for a lot of the emails I got, I was not suggesting the Leafs trade Mitch Marner. I was just saying that at some point they could get back into a corner where they may have no choice. But again, we can carry on with all that. But before we go any further, Ricky, what did you think of the game the other night? Well, I actually, believe it or not, I thought it was a lot more intense uh, and, and a little bit quicker than I was expecting, uh, especially after four months off, uh, you know, or what, a three or four week training camp. And then one exhibition game, and I, it was a lot quicker and a lot better played than I than I was expecting. Yeah, I I, I was impressed with. I mean, you know, the the usual sort of idiosyncrasies the Leafs seem to have on defense did sort of find their yeah. rear their ugly head as the game went on. But the offense looked sharp. Obviously, scoring in the first forty seconds. Uh, anybody in particular stand out in your eyes that uh, seemed to catch your attention? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say anybody really stood out, uh, like, you know, where you would say, well, wow, he, he was unbelievable tonight. Um, I thought as a whole, believe it or not, I thought their defense moved the puck very, pretty good, got it out of their zone fairly quickly, mm -hmm. uh, with good passes and, uh, and therefore the Leafs were able to go on the attack a lot of times. Other than that, I, I, I like I say, I, I can't say I looked at the game and, watched and said this guy played unbelievable because I didn't think anybody was unbelievable but I didn't think anybody was terrible either so yeah so it wasn't too bad yeah I mean I think uh I mean both sides were a little apprehensive to start off with especially with the light of everything going on so you could see they were a little guarded but when Muzzin steamrolled Alex Belzile that just seemed to turn the whole game and and everybody didn't realize wait a minute uh, COVID or no COVID, these guys are like, if I keep my head down or I'm not paying attention, I'm going to be board planted. And it just seemed to pick up from there. And I, and I also thought that 
Uh, Makayev looked very comfortable. I mean, this is a, I, I mean, if I had to pick one player, I guess maybe him because he fit in so comfortably with Tavares and Marner. Yeah. And the fact that those guys seem to have his confidence in them playing with them and they made plays with them. And you can tell when you're, I mean, you can speak to this because you went through it with new line mates. There is, believe it or not, a real adjustment, is there not, to pick up somebody new on your side? Well, I don't think there's any question that there, there's always an adjustment. And uh, the other night, uh, he seemed to fit in on that line kind of seamlessly, really. And uh, but he's a, he's a big horse. I mean, he's a big kid. He's, he's talented and he's smart and he knows where to go. Uh, you know, there, I mean, there's a lot of guys on that two-on-one with Johnny. They may not have driven the net as hard as he did, but, you know, he knew there was probably a 90% chance he was getting the puck. And so, so there already you're seeing a little chemistry with a guy knowing that, okay, I got an opportunity here because, you know, he's likely going to fake it. He's on his forehand. And he'll likely throw it across to me for a great opportunity. Yeah, and I mean, you could just you could just see that. I mean, the play was red all the way down. And again, that's what I'm speaking of, the confidence that Tavares has in Makayev because he made that play. I mean, everybody watching this, we watching on TV, it looks real simple. You know, at ice level, it's a little more difficult <laughs> than what it makes out to be. It is, but then, you know, I don't think you have to look any further than last year where – he was really coming around as a player with Toronto, yeah. uh, you know, and then all of a sudden with the bad wrist cut that he sustained and uh, good for the Leafs, good for him that they've been off for four months. So he's been able to come back and play. He probably wouldn't have been ready for the playoffs more than likely. Uh, maybe not played at all in the playoffs, but certainly he wouldn't have been available for the first round or two at least. And, uh, but I, I thought he was coming around pretty good last year, just before he got hurt. Thought he was steady, uh, re responsible. Uh, you know, he could chip in offensively. He was good defensively, and he's a big body. And uh, you know, big bodies that can skate and make plays, and that are smart players and responsible defensively. They're not easy to come by. Yeah, and I mean, for a guy who's new to the league, he does not turn the puck over, and that's that's another big key component yeah. to his game that, again, gains the trust of the coaching staff and his fellow teammates. And speaking of which, kid wearing number 89, the guy who wore that number at one time was one of the most talented players ever to come play for the Maple Leafs. I was speaking to referring to Alex McGillney, of course, but Nick Robinson, he uh, made his debut. Uh, this kid was just sort of on a one-way track to have a shot, right from the start. He earned it. He seemed to gain the respect of the players. He gained respect of the room. He did not play his way off that hockey club the other night with his play and his tenacity up front for checking. Made a nice play, picked up an assist. Do you think he plays Sunday night? It's a game they're going to be played against with suffocating defense. Do you, do you replace him with a guy like Goche, even though, see, he's a big body guy, but he does not use the big body to his advantage. Or do you use the speedster who does have a talent and actually can score? Well, it's almost like you're caught between a rock and a hard place here because if you're the coach, you're going, okay, we, we, it's a short series. If we get behind 2 nothing, chances of coming back are, are very, very slim. And uh, I forget what the percentages are, but 
it's somewhere in the 90s. And uh, so do you go with somebody who's played for a few years in the National Hockey League and has some playoff experience? Or do you go with a kid who is really good in junior in Peterborough? So um, I don't think he played himself out of the lineup. I don't think he did a whole lot to secure himself a job. Like, in other words, like he's definitely in. I, I don't know if he did one or the other. He was kind of just in the middle. And uh, I thought I saw him take a couple of shots and probably in junior, based on his numbers, he's the type of player that probably would have had a little bit more patience, maybe held on. Uh, where he shot probably a little sooner than he probably wanted to. So um, those are those are all big questions going into uh, best of five against a team that is very good defensively and one of the best teams in the league, as a matter of fact, defensively. So um, I, I don't know. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough call because they're not going to be dressing thirteen forwards either. Don't forget. Right. We go back to the usual you know, 12, six and two. And uh, do you use a guy without any experience? I don't, I'm not really sure. If, if there was a way that they could fit him in maybe on the second power play and, you know, limited minutes, because uh, he is a good power play guy, obviously, and, and could probably fit in on the second power play and make that work a little bit better. But again, you got to look at the whole game and you got to look at the whole series. And you got to say to yourself, if you're the coach, what do I do? Do I go with the experience or do I go with the youngster who could come out, play unbelievable, score some big goals, or could be very quiet? Because it's not that easy coming in, you know, especially this kind of a situation. It's hard enough when you're drafted and then you go into training camp the next year. But let alone, you know, he hasn't played either since uh, – March, and all of a sudden you have, you've never played professional hockey, even in the American Hockey League, and now you're thrown into the National Hockey League. So, I mean, that's not easy for that kid. I, I you know, I mean, you give him a lot of credit for going out and playing, like I said, not bad enough to say he's not going to play in the playoffs or not good enough to say he's definitely in. But good enough to say, you know what, he did pretty darn good for his first uh, professional hockey game. Well, the other part of it, too, that throws into the mix, and this is a nice problem for Leafs to have and Leafs fans to enjoy, is that Andreas Johnson skated with the special teams today. So he's not that far apart as of our recording, that is, and we're a couple of days before uh, the, the opening game of the play-in. So that's going to add to the mix also. And, and, of course, if he's ready and healthy to play, he will definitely, there'll be no question he will take the spot. But um, just, just taking that a little step further, where I'd like to go with this. Now, Robertson came in, and, you know, you got to love his energy, and you got to love the way the players responded to him, and he gained confidence as the camp went along, as we've talked about, and everybody's read about all week. But just take us through a couple of things here. What well, might have been going through his mind as camp went along, and he's noticed that he was getting a little more time with the big boys, less time standing skating with the aces, and then even leading into that opening game and walking into the room, putting on the real jersey, you did that twice. I mean, you did it with the Birmingham Bulls and WHAs and 18-year-olds, so the same age. And you did it again a year later with Vancouver. Walk us through what might have been going through his mind through that whole period compared to yours. Well, I, I think, I mean, well, first of all, you're nervous as hell. 
<laughs> I don't care who you are. You know, you're, you're, you're going in there and you're nervous as hell. I mean, uh, there's no question about that. I was both times. I mean, that kind of wore off fairly quickly because, you know, the, you get into the exhibition games right away and then regular season games. But I can't even imagine that, you know, like, I mean, he's coming right out of junior four months later. He's, you know, this, and it's not like this is a regular season where you could say, okay, well, let's give him nine games or, or give him 10 games or see how he does. Like, we're going right into an elimination round here. So right. he's also thinking about that too. So I, I would think he was pretty darn nervous. Now, over, over that month, roughly, that they had camp, I, I would think that he probably uh, settled in a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys talked to him and said, you know, listen, you know, relax. We know what you're capable of doing. Management, coaching, they know what you're capable of doing. Just play your game, relax, and go out and have fun. And, you know, uh, I'm sure he settled down quite a bit, but I, I would imagine going into that game on Tuesday that, like, he was a basket case all day long <laughs> until he got on the ice, until the puck dropped, and until he got a, a couple of shifts in, and then probably things settled down. But I, I would imagine all day he was a basket case. So when you arrived at the rink in Birmingham, your opening game, and you got to play, and again, you're not playing. I'll talk even your first exhibition, you're going to be nervous because you're an 18-year-old. There's expectations. Yeah. You're taking some veteran's job. So there's all those things combined with, and you know how tight those dressing rooms used to be and very clicky. You know what rooms can be like. I don't care what level you play at. There's always that sort of component to it. Walk us through your day when you, you played your first WHA game. And did anybody did yeah, anybody it, help you out? There was anybody, you know. No, nobody. And that was the thing. That's that was the difference. I think back then compared to now, is I'm going into a game and everything was just like I just said. I was scared as hell, nervous. Mm -hmm. uh, like I wanted to throw up before the game. <laughs> that's how nervous I was. But. After a couple of shifts, it kind of just felt like I was back in junior and I was playing again and, mm -hmm. and hockey just took over. Hockey sense took over and the game took over and you just went out and played. But, you know, then the regular season started and it was the same thing all over again. And it took you, you know, two or three shifts to get into that game and then probably 10 games into the regular season before you actually felt comfortable and comfortable enough to go out and do the things that you're capable of doing. Yeah. And I think that, uh, at that, I mean, that's always the kid because then, I mean, once the puck is dropped, believe it or not, it is another hockey game and everybody's played in hockey games yeah. since within six years old. So just the question of the level and how many touches you get during the game or, and how many times you're picking yourself up off the ice. And those are all the things that all factor in that maybe changes the level, you know, differentiates between the lower and the higher levels. And, you know, I think that it's going to be, it's nice to see this problem Toronto has. And I know that as we discussed last week, they want nothing better than kids like this to have success. The, the fears you're bringing in too soon. But the fact is with cap constraints, you knew, do you want the cheaper player on the roster if he can play at the level? No question. Yeah. And don't forget that they're, they're probably, their initial thought was that, uh, to play him in the American League for a little bit. Oh, absolutely. So you're going from you're going from junior right to the National Hockey League. You're going from junior to the American League. It's it's not easy. 
but it's a little bit easier than going right on to the National Hockey League. If you can get a half a year under your belt in the American Hockey League and then go to the National League, boy, oh boy, that is enormous and that helps you a ton. And, you know, because I think there's a bigger jump from even from junior hockey to the American League than I think there is from the American League to the National League. And, uh, you know, so I think six months in the American League probably would have prepared him so well for the National Hockey League. Well, I, I believe that. I mean, and that's the thing. It, it, I mean, the hardest part sometimes is getting there, it's just as you, you allude to, because when you're going from junior to, to the American Hockey, don't forget, you're going to a team of maybe those rosters, about 35, 40 guys in total throughout a season. Mm-hmm. Every one of them is trying to get to the show, and every one of them has been sent down. They're all trying to get back to the big league. They're not going to give you anything. You're going to have to beat them. It was when you move to that next level, your eyes are management's eyes are on you and you alone. And so what you're doing is you're competing against yourself and you're trying to do the best you can to stay competitive. And I saw that part. I totally agree with, and you want a kid over ready. You don't want them just, and that's always the fear. And, you know, hopefully we'll watch very with real interest here, but this kid definitely shows signs of some progress. And, you know, there's definitely something, that we can cheer about as Maple Leaf fans going forward. And nice to see that Johnson's coming back. And we had this problem that there is some competition and depth at all the positions. So keeping that all in mind, moving into the play-in, which begins in a couple of days, what's your prediction? What happens? I don't like to predict. Uh, I hate this too. I mean, I put it this way. I, I think it's, I mean, there's there's eight series that are going to be going on in, in the play-in. I think four. Are, I'd be shocked if if the lower seed won. And then there's two that are probably a coin flip because both teams are are so evenly matched. And then there's another couple that you know that if if either team won, you wouldn't consider it a uh, an upset. So I think there's probably two out of the eight that you wouldn't consider an upset depending on who wins. And then the other six, I think there's probably at least four anyway that there would definitely be big upsets of certain teams lost. So, uh, and then the other two are kind of a coin flip. So, uh, you know, I, I would think that's probably the same in the Western Conference as well. I really haven't looked at the Western Conference as much as the Eastern Conference for many reasons uh, because we want to see what the Leafs do. We don't care about Calgary, Vancouver. What do you think the Leafs do? What do you think the Leafs do? What do you think the Leafs do in their in their series with Columbus? That's where I was going. Well, with I, I think I think it's going to be very important to get off to a good start. Now, the thing they got going for them is they got home ice, so they're going to have their own dressing room. They're going to they're going to be a lot more comfortable. Well, for some of the games, uh, they got to go to the other dressing room in the away games. For some of the games. Oh, the away games. games, that's right, yeah. yeah. But at least three of the games are going to have their own room. Yeah. If they jump out and grab that 2 nothing lead, you know, then, like I said, I think it's 90-some percent that anybody in the best of five that's down the first two comes back to win. And I think the last thing to do was the Islanders. And I think it was 85, I think it was. Uh, so I like their chances. 
but again, uh, they're going up against one of the best defensive teams in the league, and lot, their power play wasn't that good the other night either. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was okay, but they did they they went over, and uh, you know, although they did get two short shorties, so that kind of helps a little bit. But uh, but when you're going up against good defensive teams, your offensive guys got to come through, and that will be the key. Is that their depth offensively is probably as good as any team that's in the playoffs or this play-in round or anything, but they need to perform. And, but so again, it's, it's going to be a really, really, for me, it's a real tough one to call. I say the Leafs win in four, but I mean, I don't know what Columbus are doing. I don't know how they're going to come out how they're going to play. Are they going to be as good defensively as they were in the regular season? Or, you know, are they going to be a little bit more offensive? You know, who knows? But the Leafs, they got the depth uh, and the offense to win in four, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I think Toronto, the the key, in my view, with Toronto is, I mean, they're going to go against, I mean, it's, it's, I hate the term, but they call it – if, if it comes down to being a track meet, there's no contest between the two clubs, obviously, but the no. talent of Trump and Toronto Maple Leafs. So what they're going to do is, you know, Tortorella, the type of coaching he's going to do, this is going to be man-on-man, and this is going to be suffocating defense. So without stating the obvious and sounding too obvious about this, Toronto can definitely not afford to be chasing the game because if they're chasing the game, what that's going to have a tendency to do is the frustration sets in, but that will bring the defense more into the play. They'll be joining the play more. That just leaves them more exposed, and a team like Columbus just thrives on that, and that's the one thing yeah. that Toronto cannot do. So they, they have to be playing with the lead, and if they do that, I mean, I know it's obvious, but you, you, the hockey people know what I mean. If they can do that, they'll have some success. And, of course, Freddie has to play good, but, again, that goes for both teams. Yeah, that goes for both teams. Their goaltending, they, they both have to be good if they're going to win. Um, you're right, Toronto, they can't get behind too often uh, and chase the game. I find, I, one of the things I find with, with, with the Maple Leafs is when they do get a, a, a lead, they're a pretty darn good team. They, they, they tend to, to kind of lock the door, and they do a pretty good job of it. And that's, that's just a mindset that you get. But when they're chasing the game, they seem to make mistakes, turn pucks over at the wrong time, it just seems everything goes against them when they're when they're chasing the game. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree hundred percent that they are gonna have to get off the good starts and keep that lead. And if they if they play with the lead, I don't think Columbus has enough offense to come back on some nights, especially if they're down two or three. There's no way Columbus is coming back from from those deficits. No, I mean, and that, I mean, that's my whole point. I mean, that, that works for anything. So, uh, but, but with the Toronto Maple Leafs and especially sort of the suspect defense they do have and defending in their own end. Now, if the forwards chip in, as you suggest, all things will be equal. And I, that, that's, that's the part. That's the team we hope shows up. And, it, and they can do it. And there's no question they can. But, again, we're sounding like fans saying these type of things now. So, last week, we did discuss that some of the possibilities that may befall the Maple Leafs should they not advance. Uh, first off, folks, as I mentioned before, and all you guys don't be emailing me anymore about then sending me texts and all that about the <laughs> I'm just saying that for a second time now today. I love that. I was glad it's you and not me. I know. I was getting it. <laughs> I, I, 
But I'm not, I, I love that kid. I love him in a Maple Leaf flight uniform for the rest of his life, that's for sure. And he just brings everything you want to the rink, and that's no question about that. But again, this is where we're going with our next part of this, of our segment here, is we've mentioned the importance of the draft. And the draft has been paramount for all the good teams through all the years, maybe except ours for a number of years. But now we seem to be much better at that. So draft picks going forward are going to be like gold. And for teams with cap challenge, like the Torontos and the Tampas of the world, or anybody who's truly in competition and gets in the position where they have to make unpopular trades, as I started to said at the beginning of the show, they're going to have to be looking for assets coming back, but they're going to have to have assets that are manageable towards the cap. Next up, our producer, we're losing him, by the way, but we're being replaced with another good young guy who's come with us. Andrews Marshall is going to be replacing our good friend, Steve Ellis, who I like to call, he just makes me so jealous because of how much knowledge he has about prospects and draft selections. I mean, this kid is, I call him a draft savant. So welcome to the show here. We're going to talk about some of the prospects coming up and what teams may be looking for, players they can maybe steal moving into, into the next few years. Stevie, come on in and join us for a second. Apparently my camera doesn't want to show up, but I will in a second. How are you guys doing? Well, that's a pretty good, I think that's a picture of Debbie that's on the screen there. So Deb, thanks for joining the show. I didn't know she knew this much about hockey. <laughs> My goodness. Debbie, I knew you are a, a prospect fan. superstar. Is, is, She's a fan. Especially the young players. So Stevie is, is everybody's where he's, he, he works the hockey news. Uh, he's going back to be, he's very excited to get back on. He's been a producer of a number of podcasts. He does Kipper's show, online movement. He's back at noon every day. So, I mean, this guy's a busy, busy guy. He's, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He was watching games from Europe in midday when it was 90 degrees outside. So this guy has a hand on all the young prospects. So let's start right off, Stevie. I mean, the first pick seems to be a given. Tell us a little bit about uh, the next couple of picks and maybe the first dozen picks in the draft. Are there any sleepers there? Well, yeah. So it seems to be, depending on who you talk to, the number two pick is kind of a, a – it could go a few ways. I think the right pick will be Quinton Byfield, who plays for the Sudbury Wolves. This is a guy who's a big six foot four player who could dominate the play. He's kind of what you'd want out of a power forward, minus the fact he doesn't get too physical at a lot of times, but he's got a lot of those other traits. And he's a guy that isn't, uh, who, who, if he needs to use the body, he'll get it. Uh, Tim Stilzel, another guy who's uh, a very popular pick for number two. He's a German prospect who I'd say had a pretty rough uh, tournament against Switzerland. Uh, a couple weeks back, but otherwise is a guy that almost was not too far off of a point per game in the German pro league this year, which is really hard for a kid his age. And he dominated when he played for Germany at the world junior. So I think that those two guys are really close. I just think he'll go by field number two. Um, the two guys I'm really excited for, uh, they're nicknamed the terror twins, Alex Holtz and Lucas Raymond out of Sweden. They've dominated when they've played together internationally, and I really like them. So Ottawa Senators, you get the third and fifth pick. That could be a possibility. Uh, in terms of top defenseman, Jamie Drysdale, I've watched him play. Yeah, uh, I've watched Jamie Drysdale play for a couple years now, and uh, I really like him as a defenseman. Actually, there's a lot of similarities between him and Morgan Riley. And uh, if you like Morgan Riley, you'll like a guy like Jamie Drysdale who can run the power of play, and he's done a lot for a team that didn't really give him much to work with. So I really like him. The one name that I think most people are getting really excited about now, though, is goaltender Yaroslav Askarov out of Russia. He is the potentially going to be the first goalie since mm -hmm. Carey Price to go in the top 10. And when you ask kind of what, like, he's got the size of Carey Price, he's got the glove hand of Carey Price, he just catches the other way. There hasn't been a goalie as hyped 
since Carey Price as Yaroslav Askarov. And I think that makes this draft so good is you got really good talent in every position. You've got a goalie who's going to go top 10. And that alone is going to make this kind of a really fun draft. 2020 is going to be a good year if you have draft pick. And I know right now the Leafs don't technically, they it's, it's protected under certain yes. ways. But um, if they don't get it, the first round pick, you know, last year they got Nick Robertson. It didn't seem to hurt them too badly. So they don't necessarily need the first round pick this year. It's a really strong draft in that way. But if they get it, if they do, so, let's say go in the first round and they have a chance to get the first round pick back, they're going to get a guy who could be potentially a top six player almost immediately. That's per, I mean, I, I mean, and that's everybody's bank on. I mean, that's what makes it so exciting moving forward because then again, the possibilities of trades and what any sort of combination can put up with that, no matter who wins that, it's going to have implications for, probably a dozen teams because all this will all filter through. And of course, with this talent pool, so let's go on a little bit further and look a little bit further. We're really going to pick your brain on this one, Stevie. So going into 21, before you start, would we might see a Brian Burke pull off this year where yeah. somebody trades down and, or Ottawa does something and gets two consecutive picks and takes those two Swedes who have played together for probably quite some time. Do we see something like that happening, perhaps? I, I think, honestly, this is as good of a year that we'll see it um, compared to uh, past years. Ottawa, see, for a team that had so many struggles the last few years, I think they're actually a lot farther away and they're a lot closer to their, their peak Stanley Cup mm -hmm. potential than a lot of people think because they went out and had the best AHL team this year. And a lot of those guys are going to move up for next season. So they've got already a really strong promising draft class where if yeah. they were picking just 15th, I think they'd still be in really good shape. So they could afford to move. They could afford to move those guys, maybe get a goaltender of the future. Uh, the, you know, the New York Rangers, they got a guy, Alexander Georgiev, who was rumored to be going to Ottawa at the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. And they have the pick that could turn into that. If that's their starting goalie, that's huge because that's the thing Ottawa's missing right now. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the thing. Yeah, we could see teams kind of move up there because Ottawa's got those two picks. Uh, at the same time, Ottawa could come out with one of the, the best centermen in the draft in Byfield or Stutzel, come out with the best defenseman in Jamie Drysdale, or come out with one of the top wingers in those Swedish uh, terror twins. So I think no matter what, they're going to come out okay. They don't need to trade, but they've got the ability where they can trade and still feel confident about what they're doing. Well, I mean, Detroit's got the fourth pick, I believe. So, I mean, Detroit could maybe wrangle something because that's right in the middle. If that's of these guys are sort of ranked. I mean, maybe Detroit does something too and can move up and grab because they really need to make a move after losing basically the first pick overall. Tim Stutzel would be a perfect pick for them. And like he, he's really good friends with Mort Sider, who was their top pick last year. So that would be two Germans on the same team that know each other and they play different positions. But that familiarity helps, especially when you're trying to move over across the world. And uh, for that would be a really big one. So they, they would probably be a team that would really want to move up. It just, they don't have the assets really to do it. They don't have a really good prospect base. They got some good guys, but nothing too special. Uh, they did win the Traverse City tournament last year, which is a, one of the top prospect tournaments in the NHL. But uh, they also did rely on a lot of their older guys, and they still don't have a goalie of the future there. So um, Detroit, there's a couple ways that can go from from what I've heard. They're really excited about Cole Perfetti more than some teams are. And Perfetti is, went from being probably the best goal scorer to one of the best playmakers in one year. And if you have a guy who could do that, that's that's a fantastic guy that I think people are going to undervalue. So this year's no shortage of top goal scorers that are going to be first and second line players um, almost like almost instantly. And it's, this is the best draft we've seen since 20 
2003 when they turned out uh, guys like Corey Perry and just every player seemed to be a big star in that draft. That's what we're seeing this year in 2020. So speaking of that, well, so speaking of that, like I found your, your old card and I mentioned this before. <laughs> and I, I just, I love the first fact being uh, that you're married. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, just weird I, mean, card. I guess probably, I probably wanted to get it out there before, you know, so everybody knew right away. And that, that was the first thing I said, but I've heard a lot of people talking about uh, uh, the German kid and they compare, comparing him to uh, dry side. And some even saying that he could be better than dry side. Oh, he's a big kid from my understanding. He's a centerman. Probably could play the wing if he had to, but I've heard a lot of comparisons to him and uh, Drysaddle. Yeah, so, so that's uh, Drysaddle was the number three pick, and we could see Tim Stutzel be the next number three pick. So uh, he's got good size at six foot. Uh, he's about 180 pounds, but he he my concern with him is that he doesn't use it enough, and I think uh, there'll be evident at points where he'll try to too too much with the puck. That when he doesn't have the puck, he's almost kind of just angry. He's just not he's mad at himself and he's letting it beat him up. Well, you'll see some prospects that will use, like if they make a mistake, they'll use it to, to improve. I think Stutzel, when, if, especially when you're playing in Switzerland, now it was a summer tournament, doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And they haven't been playing for a long time, but that was not what we expected where he was just shut out so often where he just couldn't get anything done. He was getting frustrated, but he's just, there might not be a better passer in this draft. And a guy that could set up someone is going to be so important. And uh, my prediction for them is he's a 75 to 80 point guy. I don't think he'll be as good as Dreisaitl, but I think he's going to be so well-rounded that we'll still be talking about a guy who'll be in 10 NHL all-star games in his career, which not exactly bad. Um, I would say almost in some cases, he's kind of got like a Patrice Bergeron style to him. And uh, that's not a bad guy to be kind of compared to. He's reliable in his own zone. You know, he's, he's got the skill to set everybody up. So if he's a guy that goes out and gets 50, 60 assists a year, I think that's going to be super valuable. So, uh, so much to like with him so far. So now just moving forward, I mean, so it's a rich draft, as we can tell from how excited you are about some of the players. Going forward, 21 may not be quite as, as depth, much depth as we're seeing now, but moving forward beyond that, give us a quick uh, summation here of what you see coming in the years 22 and 23. Well, if you like 2020, 2022 is going to be so much more exciting. We've got Shane Wright, who uh, the best comparable is probably John Tavares at this point. So that's a, that's a good sign as we, we've seen Tavares has been a pretty good player. And Shane Wright, he got exceptional status and uh, he immediately Jason. was – Kingston, right? Kingston, Kingston, yep. And he's uh, born yeah, out of Burlington. Yeah. And great young kid. I've been watching him for a long time. He was actually the the, the cornerstone of that Don Mills Flyers team last year in the GTHL, which was an incredible story. Their their main goalie was unfortunately killed in a, in a home invasion. It was a really sad story. And the Flyers went out, and I think they lost like two or three games all season long, like in overtime or something. Like They were just dominant. And one of the best – minor midget teams we've ever seen and right was the reason why in a lot of cases they won so much um he does everything you you like i don't know if i've seen a guy who could pass the puck um at his skill level since Connor mcdavid at the same age and that's a pretty good comparison 
yeah, I'd say he's a good player. Uh, there's Matt Savoy, who uh, almost got exceptional status out of the West, and he's going to be uh, another guy who is going to be such a fantastic player. He got hurt early in the WHL this year. It came back and really showed that he belonged there. And WHL is not an easy league to step in because you step in younger than the OHL players do. And as a result, like there's older, bigger competition while he's still in the growing stages of his career and life. Um, so that was tough. The one name that I think everyone's going to laugh at, though, is Brad Lambert out of Finland. Not exactly a very Finnish name, uh, but his dad uh, actually, uh, I, I can't recall where his dad played, but he, he's from Saskatchewan. So they've got that kind of uh, uh, story there. And um, That's another guy who already, he's one of the youngest players, I believe actually the youngest player to ever play in the Finnish Pro League, which is a really strong European league. And he got key minutes right away and has already been training with the under 20 Finnish team. So these are all guys, uh, Shane Wright and uh, Brad Lambert, I think we'll see in the 2021 World Juniors, but that's good. And 2023, it's still really early out, but Connor Bedard is the best Western-based prospect we've ever seen. And that's saying something because he went out there and got 80 something points in 30 games this year against guys who are three, four years older than him, which is huge at that level. The ages do matter in minor hockey, but just 2022, 2023 is going to just have so many big name talents. And I'm just scratching the surface. There are so many guys we can go through there. It's just that good of a draft. And it's really exciting to kind of see because those two years are going to be good. 2021 is going to be fine, but it's more of a defense heavy. It's not going to be a lot of offensive superstars like we're seeing 2020 and 2022, 23, but uh, oh, 2024 has got some good names too. But that, that's a little too far out of the future. Oh, that's like oh six games there. So yeah. I mean, I think well, as we go ahead. Steve, how many of those guys, like in the next, like you're saying, you know, especially those two years you're talking about, like how many players are would you term like franchise players? You know, like Crosby's. You know, guys that are going to come in, McDavid's and the the likes that are going to come in and, and uh, you know, be franchise players. Yeah, that, that's that's one where it's, it, I think, more so than usual because each year, you know, there's always some, like, key players in the draft. Like last year, Jack Hughes and Capocacco were the big ones. Uh, but and, and that draft was good, but, like, a step down from this year. Um, in 2022, I think those – we're calling them the three-headed monster because those three guys of Savoy, Lambert, and Shane Wright are just, like like – it's one thing to say a guy who's 15 or 16 is going to be a good player in a few years, but when they have this many scouts getting crazy about these players at this young age to the level we're not, we don't usually see outside of the McDavid's, the Tavares, the Stamkos, those are guys that are going to be instant fan favorites and instant game changers. Like Shane Wright was the best player in Kingston. Kingston was one of the worst teams in the OHL this year. But for him to go out there and immediately as the youngest player in the league and the youngest player since Connor McDavid to play in the league, that's a huge deal. And I think that gets really like, it's a reason to get excited. So I'd say that year for sure, you got three guys who are going to turn franchises around in the way that we saw Crosby and Malkin Ovechkin do uh, in 05, 06. But then we're also going to year after Connor Bedard would be shocked if he got out there and, gets 80 points in his first season and Berkeley cat in the year after that will be another huge name. So these are, these are guys that it, it's not just like they're the top, the top of that draft year. So they're going to be great automatically. It's like, no, these guys are going to be superstars. And I think that's, what's exciting. Well, you know, on that note, we've oh, that got is exciting. That is exciting. It's Steve. I'm going to try to stump you though. Sure. 
Who was the first player to ever get exceptional status in junior high? Uh, that'd be John Tavares. Well, well I, I didn't think I was going to stump you, but I was going to try. Anyway. I, I, I'll say this. I, 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 I'll, I'll say this. I'm from Oakville. That's where Tavares is from. It was hard to ignore oh, okay. Tavares. I've heard stories of him and Sam Gagne playing road hockey and shooting balls and pucks into the late hours of the night and annoying all the neighbors. It worked out quite well for those two, I'd say. <laughs> but Tavares is a, a guy that I will always – have a, a great appreciation for us. He was like the being from Oakville. He was one of the only guys who, like, he, he was the biggest guy to ever make the NHL from Oakville at that time. There weren't a lot of guys. Rob yeah. Zamner was one, but the list of guys were very low. Ever since then, we've seen Steve Mason. We've seen a lot of come more depth guys, and now the 2005 uh, born Oakville Rangers kids are probably the best team in uh, Canada in terms of 05 age kids. So it's getting exciting. Well, you, guys, let me go almost uh, exactly. You're almost exactly right, though, because Dave Gagne had a rink in his backyard. Uh, he lived on the lakeshore, yeah. okay? And uh, he had the pipes underneath and everything because him and his brother had a company at the time who made them. So Johnny Tavares, Cody Golubeth, <laughs> Sam, and my son Justin, they were probably over there four, four nights a week playing. They had lights and everything, so they played. And believe me, when those – Two went two on four guys went two on two. It was a war out there. Yeah. <laughs> I never saw 13, 14, 15 year old kids going at it so hard <laughs> that they, they hated to lose. And, and those four guys were in that category. So it was a lot of fun to watch. Well, you know, guys, I think that's, uh, I mean, what we're seeing is that the, the talent pool moving forward is not getting any thinner. Uh, if anything, it's expanding. And what it's doing is it's going to put more pressure on. You don't want to be a 27-year-old in this league anymore. Uh, with all these young kids coming up, they're going to take your job pretty quickly. So it's going to become even more paramount for teams to have kids step into the lineup, especially with cap constraints and all that stuff we've talked about. So we're going to be watching with real interest moving forward. But I think, Squid, I think the listeners have had enough of us. Steve, I want to thank you for joining us. We'll get you back again uh, to, to pick up on some of these uh, thoughts that you have moving forward. And we're definitely going to get you back on. And you're going to have to explain this, a lot of this stuff to me off the air, by the way. It's a little above our heads, me and Squid. But enough of us so far. We want to go back to the second part of our interview with uh, Paul Biznasty Biznet. Uh, the fi- first part was pretty funny. I think the second part is even funnier. And I think we're going to pick up right where we were speaking about his career and just joining the National Hockey League. So, I mean, uh, now going to the other, the other things, I mean, obviously everybody wants to, to, to make in the league, but you know, you made the adjustment. So the reality for you, I mean, how hard did that actually hit you when you actually arrived and took a look around what camps are really like? The, the number one piece of advice I give to people that, that want to get to the National Hockey League level, like even younger kids, is, is um, don't be stubborn in your role. You, I, I'm not saying don't try to chase your dreams. And if it is a skill guy that you want to be, you have to take a step back at some point and, and evaluate, are you – are you lighting up the league on a constant basis? Because if you are, okay, then, then sure. But if, if you're not and you're going to be stubborn and that's what you want your role to be, well, eventually you're going to find out no team has a use for a guy who thinks he's going to be um, you know, a, a rusher when he's actually a crusher and then he's going to turn out being an usher. Right, Rick? I mean, am, am I crazy yeah. here? No, Rick, I mean the same no, thing. No, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it was a little bit different for me, obviously, is that, 
Well, first of all, I thought I should have went fourth. I went fifth. Uh, Washington took Mike Gardner. That wasn't a bad pick, so I, I can't pick. complain about that. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, but one of the things that I had to establish early in my career, which was really not part of my game, was the fact that I had to show people that I wasn't going anywhere. If I was standing in front of that, taking a beating, that I wasn't going to, you know, they weren't going to intimidate me. So I fought a ton my first three years pro. And like you, got the shit kicked out of me, I don't know how many times. I was knocked out cold twice. And, but I, you know what, I felt if I didn't do it, I was going to get intimidated my entire career and they were just going to continue to do it. So by them knowing that, Hey, I'm sticking up for myself. And if I got a wacky across the arms of my Titan, that was about that big around and uh, break your arm, I will. And so that really helped open things up for me a little bit and gave me a little bit more room, I think, than uh, they were tired of breaking their hands on my helmet, probably more than anything else. But, uh, <laughs> Well, my face. I thought you meant that hair and that hairspray. Jesus, you got some. <laughs> you got some flow, buddy. Oh, no, you just got to put a number on the side. Put a number hey, on the side. Not bad for not bad for an old fella. I tell hey, you hey, what, the hey, ladies Corey. were probably uh, making panty soup up in the crowd when you were in warm-ups, That's for sure. <laughs> hey, Scrape, tell the story about Sather Senate with Semenko. I think the I think uh, Biz will appreciate that one. Thanks. Oh, that was that was. It was in the WHA, and uh, Semenko was in Edmonton, and Sather was a yappy little prick. And uh, every time my lad was went by the bench, he'd be yapping at me, yapping at me, yapping. Because I always scored against Edmonton for some reason. I don't know why, but that year anyway. So finally, we're lined up for a face-off right by their bench, and he is yapping and yapping. And I just turned around and said, will you shut up? I said, you were nothing but a pussy when you played. And, and he goes, I'm going to send some Mako after you. And I said, go ahead. So anyway, with, that was a mistake, by the way. But oh, I, I man, Semenko anyway. was so tough. So, well, so I'm playing against him, and we're, I'm back-checking. Uh, yes, I was back-checking. <laughs> and uh, it was offside at our blue line, so we both kind of turned, and he just reached around and suckered me. And then he grabbed me by the back of the sweater hit me a couple more times. I was already out. Both gloves fell, fell off. We both got five for fighting. So anyway, I was out cold probably for about a half an hour. So we're playing in Winnipeg two the next night or two nights later, and I couldn't make the trip because my nose was like everywhere. And uh, But we were back in Edmonton a week later. So same thing happens. He starts yapping, yapping, yapping. And I'm going to send Semenko after you. He called him Semi, I think. And I go, go ahead. So anyway, I'm, I, I got the puck by the boards. I see him coming, and he's, I, he's got me lined up. And I go, okay, he's going to kill me. So I just got out of the way at the last second. He hit the boards, and he fell to the ice. And he didn't wear a helmet. I took my stick, and I just a little tap on the head. Just a little bit of blood, not a whole lot. You know, I didn't want to make a big scene out of it. And I, I leaned down and I said, you ever do that to me again and I'll cut your neck off like that. Oh. And uh, of course, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm either dead yeah. or he doesn't have a clue what I'm <laughs> capable of doing and he's going to leave me alone. Well, he didn't bother me the rest of my career, you know, because I took a, a it, it was a, a big gamble. 
but I took it and it paid off and because he didn't know if I was capable of it or not. And, and going back to what you were saying about how you fought early in your career, Dion Phaneuf came in the league as an 18-year-old defenseman with Calgary. And it's, it's obvious that times have changed. And very similar to what you're talking about, he felt that he was getting challenged a lot. He fought 20 times. And progressively throughout his career, people just left him alone. They wouldn't, they wouldn't go to the yeah. crease as hard as – because I think that when, when guys are aware that you, you know, you're, you'll throw down, you're going to hold your own, they tend to gravitate away from it. They, they, they kind of let you be, and they don't want to be the ones getting their eyes pumped shut. So coming well, out as of a 19 year old, oh. as a 19 year old in the WHA, I led the league with 248 penalty minutes. And I, that was a lot of beatings. Yeah. <laughs> that was, but I, but that you probably got probably a lot of space five. out there after. Yeah. You know what? It really helped. And Brof was their coach at the time. And, you know, he sat me down a couple of times and talked about that exact thing and said, you know, this is something that I, I already kind of knew I had to be a shit disturber in a, in a certain kind of way to get some space. But he reinforced that in me. And I went on and in that first couple of years in the NHL was the same thing. And then Mike Nikolak was coaching in 81, 82. And he said, Rick, he said, we need you on the ice, not in the penalty box. And that was the best words I ever heard from a coach in my entire life. <laughs> and then went on and scored 54 goals that year. So, Rick, you know, the, the, coaches, the coaches actually told me the opposite. They're like, we need you in the box, <laughs> not on the ice. <laughs> that's, what I knew my, that's what I knew where my career was headed. Hey, so, boys, this one's for both you guys again. So, coming out of your first pro camps, and we'll even talk about making your first National Hockey League teams, what, like, what did you guys find that was – you weren't expecting or, or do, like did anybody take you under their wing and what were the things that you just sort of walked away from that you weren't expecting going to those camps and being a pro? Um, you know, I was a little immature when I first got to pro. I think I got excited that I finally had a, you know, no, no real leash. I had some money in my bank account. Um, yeah. I was fortunate where I always had great leaders and I was part of great organizations. I played for, for three in my entire career. I played with the Kings who treat their players incredibly just as if, the, the Arizona slash Phoenix Coyotes when I played for them and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then, of, and then also being surrounded by good leadership because, you know, they just, they run a tight ship there. I had Elaine Nazardine as my captain, my first couple of years in, in Wilkes-Barre um, as well as uh, Terry, Terry Virtue who played a long time in pro uh, in the ECHL. And then after Crosby in the NHL, I went on to play f with uh, Shane Doan for five years. So um, it's just, um, you know, it, it the, the, the biggest uh, surprise, which it should have been, was just how professional the guys, especially the ones who had long careers, were. Just they, you know, every day come with that working mentality, work boots on, first guy there, last guy to leave, um, taking care of their bodies as far as what they were eating. They weren't drinking too much, um, and, and they weren't partying. So it's it's really changed, Rick, and, and you can, you know, you could attest to this. It, it used to be where – you know, you put your bags down when you got to the next road city and everybody would go out and, you know, grab a bite to eat and, and a bunch of beers. And, you know, it, it was a drinking culture. And, and, and that's, that's the culture that when I first hit pro, it was, it was very similar to that. And you slowly saw it fade away where, I mean, I think Hal Gill and Bill Guerin, my first couple training camps when I was there in Pittsburgh, you know, they would have a six pack after games waiting in their stall. 
And that is now oh. it's a po- protein shake and the vitamins, which is fine because the game is getting faster and it is getting better, but it, uh, it, it's definitely changed. Rick, what about you? Well, there's no, yeah, there's no question about that. I, I went to Vancouver and we had some, we had some great leaders. Don't get me wrong. We had some great, great uh, players who led by example, but we did go out quite a bit. And uh, they, they were the ones kind of leading the pack and saying, okay, we're having lunch. And, uh, and God love him, uh, just passed away, Jack McElhart. He was one of the guys that was one of our big leaders. And uh, Donnie Lever, uh, Dennis Kearns, uh, Harold Snips. Like, those are the guys that kind of protected you and took you under your, their wing. Unfortunately, under their wing was still a bar. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the way it was mostly every day, and uh, but uh, God bless uh, Jack and and uh, condolences to his family because uh, he was a great guy, a uh, great person, and uh, he was a great teammate as well. And that that was a big thing back then was regardless of of how we lived, it, it was different than it is now. As but you have to be different now because you have to be in great shape. You have to take care of your body. But regardless of how it was, these guys were all fantastic individuals. Like they're just, I mean, in the room and, and out of the room, I played with so many unbelievable people that it was uh, it, it's hard to name them all because they were all great people. Uh, regardless of how we lived, it was a different era, but the, but the players were wonderful. So now Biz, when you finally actually made it, uh, I don't know if you know or not, but you scored your first goal on November the 12th in 2009. Do you know who you scored it against? Oh, yeah. I, I could tell you every shift that I probably <laughs> had in the NHL. That's how few I had. And when it comes to goals, I have, I have seven. I'll remember every single one. And, yes, I scored against Carey Price at home. We ended up losing that game. I got in a fight earlier in the game, but I scored a fucking goal off my skate, Rick. On hey. Carey Price, but, but when my grand when my grandkids ask me, I'm going to tell them I picked it up behind the net. I I dodged three four checkers. I split PK Subban and Markov and went bar down on Carey Price. It's exactly how I will describe it to my grandkids. Absolutely. Well, you know what else you can you add? Should. Well, you know what else you, you should. Add? Hey, you know what else you can add? November the twelfth, nineteen thirty one, for you guys was the opening on Maple Leaf Gardens in the first game at the Gardens by the Leafs. So, Biz, you scored on the 78th anniversary. So, as a grown-up Maple Leaf fan, look at that little tidbit you can add to it for your grandkids. Oh, I love this uh, this podcast. Everything comes uh, comes back tied to the Leafs. Hey, Rick. <laughs> Everything comes back. The the center of the hockey universe. <laughs> well, well that's enough for you guys. Um, between Toronto and Montreal. It pretty much those two cities are the center of the hockey universe. I would have. To oh say. yeah. I would say. I mean, growing up, well, especially for me, uh, when there was only twelve teams. Uh, I mean, Montreal, Toronto—that's that's all we saw. We never got to see any of the other teams because that's all it was on Hockey Night Canada. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it was, you know, Toronto and Montreal. That was it. So, boys, for you guys, again, I guess that these questions can work for both you guys. Uh, you know, when, uh, so we'll start with you, Biz, again. When it, was there a moment that you knew that you actually had made it as a professional, like there was some sort of acceptance in the room from the players, or you got that look or the nod from the coach or something you knew, something you did, a fight, a goal, or something 
or that just that one moment that you knew, I think I've made it? Well, it's probably a fight. Uh, <laughs> I want to yeah. Uh, a, a, a couple instances. Uh, I, when I was playing with Pittsburgh, I got in a fight on home ice against uh, Matt Bradley of the Washington Capitals. I ended up squeaking a punch in and, and uh, ended up knocking him out. Um, and it, it was it was weird because all of a sudden now when I was going out in Pittsburgh, people were starting to recognize me and stuff. So that's kind of when I was like, oh, my God, this is like really weird. Um, and then the, the second moment when I realized that I'd finally like established myself and made it, made it um was um we were actually in nashville funny story it all comes back around eh? the place i was drafted yeah. when um i ended up signing my first ever one-way contract and, and i got a two-year deal uh and brad tree living who is the assistant general manager he's now the uh he's with uh, phoenix at the time now he's with calgary um yeah he was in communication with my agent i was like oh my goodness i think i was a healthy scratch like 10 games in a row and then my agent called, he goes, he goes, Hey, they want to uh, sign you to a two-year extension, a one-way. <laughs> I thought he was fucking with me. I say, yeah, okay. <laughs> I say, I'm just happy you're not calling me to let me know I'm getting sent down. And sure enough, I ended up signing that one way, uh, two years. And it was, it was really cool. I called my, my parents and you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty conservative guy. And at that point you're, you know, you, you know, you know you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. Hey, Ricky, what about you? So, I mean, you guys, in Vancouver. Well, I was on a one-way pretty much from the beginning. I mean, it wasn't – it's funny because my son played one year in Bridgeport, signed a two-way with the Islanders. So he was making whatever it was, 600, I think was the minimum then. And he was making 150 in the American Hockey League. And I, he was sitting on the couch and I said, do you realize that if you spend the whole year in the American Hockey League, you're making 30000 dollars more than I made my first two years in the NHL combined because my first contract was 60, 60, 65, 70. Crazy. So, you know, yeah, it was, but mind you, that was a long time ago. That was 1979. Yeah. But, um, and uh, he just laughed and he, he didn't believe me, but sure enough, that's exactly what it was. But I, you know what, it was, I guess when I got to Toronto, there was some bad moments in Vancouver. Harry Neal and I didn't seem to see eye to eye. And I don't know what the problem was uh, exactly, but when he told me I was traded, we got to Toronto. Uh, Punch Imlach was still a general manager, and he said to Billy Derlego and I, he said, you guys are going to get a chance to play a ton here. Just go out and do the best you can. Be the best at what you do. And... Uh, Keep your noses clean. And, you know, sure enough, everything kind of turned around right, right there in Toronto for me. And uh, all I did was concentrated on doing the best I could every day. And, uh, and that included practice. I, I wasn't a good morning person. And the guys used to know that. And they'd get on me sometimes in the mornings. And, like, I mean, I would throw things at guys and, and run guys in practice because I, I wasn't a morning person. And they knew that. They would get under my skin. And that's how I, that's how I approached it. Every day was like, you know, I got to be the best. And I got to, I, if I got to run a guy in, in a drill, I'm going to do it. You know, that's, it's the only way that you're going to get better is by every day trying to get better. And uh, I used to stay after practice and shoot pucks and tip pucks in front of the net. I used to go on the ice half hour before anybody with a bucket of pucks. It was probably the, 
the best moments I ever had in my life actually was just me at Maple Leaf Oh, Gardens, buddy. Fire, it's therapeutic. Firing them up. Therapeutic. Firing them off the glass. It is. You, you know what, Biz? You're absolutely right. It, it was therapeutic for me. And I loved every second of it. So now, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I can hear you guys. I mean, and it's, it's, you know, you, you put the work in, you're going to get rewarded. And I mean, that's one thing about hockey and hockey players and most things in life are, are attributed to that. And it brings me to that next sort of phase in your life biz where you become very well known and that's in the social world. And you're one of the first guys to get on Twitter and really take advantage of that. What, what gave you the inspiration to do that? Uh, Scotty Upshaw asked me, uh, you know, why don't you get on Twitter? You can really joke around on there. And I just didn't understand it. Um, I heard Charles Barkley talking about it, how stupid it was on ESPN at the time. And I'm, I, I, I agree with him because a lot of people, what they were doing is they were doing it to just update people being like, this is what I'm doing. This is, but then I realized that you could go on there and joke around and interact with fans. So um, when I hopped on one summer after training, uh, it was this, you know, the season after we, we, we were getting some time off. And I remember Scotty Upshaw saying, I said, ah, I'll check out what this is. And it, it, it just became fun that, 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 you know, you could be that close with fans and, and give them a, a glimpse of inside the life of what it was like to play in the National Hockey League. And I didn't take, take it for granted for a minute. So I think they were just grateful that, you know, the, the fans were getting like, oh, like what's going on on, the, on their plane? And, you know, I'd be posting a picture of like on si inside the private jet or, or whatever it was. So they found it fascinating. It was something that happened very organically. And um, I'm fortunate because I think the, the one thing that a lot of guys, after they spend their entire lives doing something, is they don't know what's next. Half of these guys probably played junior and didn't take their education seriously because they thought they were going to play hockey forever. And the ones that, that did is, is – you walk away with not a lot of life skills outside of hockey. Mm -hmm. Well, I was fortunate where I get to now stay in the game and, and be involved in media inside the only thing that I've really ever known. And, that, and that's hockey. So um, it, it took me on a wild ride and, and you kind of alluded toward it, toward it at the, the end of your, what we said about the last answer is the hard work is that's one thing that hockey taught me is you got to get up every morning and you gotta, you gotta work, you gotta put the work boots on. And I've never been shy um, to, to, to work hard. I kind of got that from my parents, especially my mother. And, uh, and it's kind of just led into what's happened post-career. And, you know, I, I couldn't be gr more grateful for it. So that, I mean, you, you, you built up this network of fans and this following and, and, you know, the funny thing is, there's this guy, Biz Nasty on uh, Twitter. He's got, he's got funny things to say. And I think that Coyote's actually even, did they tell you to stop for a little bit because you were, they thought maybe you're spending a little too much time doing that? They, they had to call me in to, to, to tone me down of the things I would say on there. Um, at one point, I deleted my first account because my agent told me to get off because he he heard rumblings that I was on here just creating up a storm. And he he he. I remember he called me. He's like, you, he goes, you got to get off Twitter. There's there's no good that can come of this. You know, you just fly under the radar. You know, play hockey and that's it. And uh, you know that that he could, he couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> He well, no, could not have been more know, wrong about social media. And I'm glad <laughs> I hopped back on because all the fans, the Coyotes fans, were messaging the team and calling the team and saying, why, why did you make him get off social media? Yeah. And they're, they were like, what? Like, what are you talking about? We don't, we, I don't even know if we, we knew this guy had a Twitter account. And they said, hey, why don't you 
toner down a little bit and hop back on when the season gets back going. And I did. And, and then it's gotten back to where it's gotten to now. That's why the, the first one was biz nasty. Now it's biz nasty 2.0. That's why that's where the name comes <laughs> from. Okay. So, well, I know. Yeah. Well, no, go ahead. Rick. Funny thing is, well, you're talking about Twitter and Instagram and I just started on Instagram, like maybe five months ago, six months ago. And, uh, I do a lot of things. I'm out doing alumni games and appearances and everything. I make sure that I, you know, use my phone, which I don't really know how to use all that well. Uh, but I make sure I get it done. I do have a guy that does my social media for me and, and kind of ties everything in and so on. But I make sure he gets the content and puts it out there. And I, I think it's a great thing, you know, especially for me at my age. Um, but I'd hate like hell to think of what it would have been like if it was around when I was playing, because there were some characters back then that. Oh it, yeah. It would have been insane. It, it really would have been insane. <laughs> so, and, and going back to what you you said about the, the, you know, you, 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 you jumped on Instagram now and you're around the town, you know, whether it's signing autographs or, or helping kids out, it's, yeah. it's all about staying busy and just keeping your mind yeah. active. And that's, that's why when I say I'm so grateful for it is, I'm one of those people, we talked about it earlier on, about how I need to stay moving all the time. I need to keep doing and, and, and trying to grow and do these, all these, experience all these different things. And it's opened up those avenues for me in, in which you're, you're talking about. Now you get to go do all those things. And, and I'm sure you, you being on Instagram, I mean, it led to us doing this interview. Um, it'll lead to us getting you on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. And it just, it, it opens up all these different avenues. I'm sure you're, you've done you know, 10, 20 things because you hopped on social media. Well, you know, the oh, funny yeah, it's, uh, it's made a big difference. I've done, I don't know, probably just through Instagram alone, it's probably led to about 35 or 40 appearances and ownership and a racehorse. And like, I mean, you name it, there's been so many things that have happened because of that. So I'm grateful that I did get on and uh, all these kind of neat, good things are happening now and, uh, and my son's a whiz at it my youngest guy my well he's a, he's much the same as you is hey mike keep going. He's gotta, mike i uh, i wonder how many uh, how many of those ladies that were sitting at the toronto gardens uh, have been have been messaging him in the dms uh, on, well, on Instagram. i don't know he's <laughs> that kind of well, they're, all, they're all dead by now <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not funny to laugh at their dad, but uh, that, that, was, that, was, that was just fucking funny. <laughs> well, but you know what? The, the, the thing is, Biz, you know what? Like, my son, Ryan, well, too, when you called today and we were talking, my son, all his buddies, that's your, that's your demographic. Like, yeah. you ask one of those kids who watched the game last night, and he gave, no, but he can tell you every play that happened, every comment that came out of the game, and every player. Like, today when we were talking about, uh, when I was listening to Shaw today on your podcast, he knew right away who the player was and he hadn't listened to it yet. But that's your, that, those kids, like we old dinosaurs oh. like me and Rick, I mean, we're the guys that, you know, we're, this is all new to us, but for you, you picked up on this, carried it and it led to spitting chicklets. So, I mean, while we're on that wave, I mean, how did that all come about? And that's just taking it to another whole level. So I had this idea of when I retired, I wanted to create this show where you'd show up to the rink with your hockey bag and you, you, get in a locker room with the boys you'd open up your hockey bag you'd have your gear you would never actually end up getting dressed but there'd be beers in there and excuse me you'd sit around telling stories 
And I have a lot. I, we did a lot of crazy shit off the ice. Um, and I didn't even know what podcasts were at the time. So I, I, told, I told Keith Yandel the idea. I ended up going to St. Louis after my time with the Coyotes uh, on a PTO. And uh, Ryan Whitney was there. And we played together in Pittsburgh. And I told him the idea. And he was like, oh, that'd be awesome. You know, we, we spent every waking moment during that PTO together. And halfway through that next season, I think he ended up finally retiring. And he said, I want to start a podcast. And uh, who's with me? And he tagged me, Colby Armstrong, and, a, and a, I think a couple other guys. And I texted him. I said, hey, I'll, I'll definitely do one with you after I'm done playing. But I still got a few, few more years in the tank. And, you know, I want to enjoy my career. Well, Rear Admiral, a, a sports journalist from Boston area, a big Bruins fan, he'd reached out to Ryan. He'd done work with Barstool uh, in the past. And he said, hey, I'll start a podcast with you. I have a mixer at my house. You come over. We shoot the shit on the couch. We, we interview guys. And th that's how they started. Well, over, you know, over the course of their first whatever it was, let's say 40 episodes, um, Mike Grinnell, who's now our producer, had reached out to uh, our uh, rear admiral on email. And he said, hey, you know, I think I can approve the sa overall sound quality and I, I have a really good mixer and I could produce your guys' podcast where you could just worry about being the host. And RA ignored the email. And yeah. sure enough, a couple episodes later, what happens? RA's mixer breaks. Yeah. RA goes back in his email, messages Mike Grinnell and says, hey, my mixer broke. Why don't you meet us here next week and you can record? And ever since then, he hopped on the podcast. So now it was Rear Admiral, Wit, and Grinnelli as a producer. Well, I finally retire. I did some film project, and I said, hey, let me get my feet wet with the Coyotes organization, and after the season, we'll see if I can end up hopping on. I told the Coyotes, hey, I'm going to hop on this podcast. We joined forces, and at the time, I think they were getting around 50,000 listeners an episode. And now, you know, with adding the Canadian demographic, because have, I have a strong one, we're, you know, we're averaging over half a million an episode now. And it's, it's, it's crazy what it's gotten to and we love it. And we're forever. I mean, if I, I'm, I don't know, what's my grateful count on this episode, probably about 20. I'm, I'm it's, 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 it saved my post career. I'm so happy that it happened. So why is it so successful? There's so many podcasts out there. What it is that you, what is it that you guys do that you bring to the audience that, that you think is different than everybody else? Like, why do you think it's so successful? Well, it, it just adds they tell a lot of funny shit. For well, yeah, yeah, that too. yeah, that too. I mean, I told some pretty wild stories. Now I got a girlfriend and I'm, and we're pretty serious. I, I, when I first got on there, I, I, I tell stories about, you know, some of the, the one girl, you know, I, I, we don't need to go into, go into details, but it, it just got wild. And I think that's what kind of drew everybody in initially. And just the stories and the camaraderie we got RA, who's a, a blue collar sports fan, He's giving his perspective. We have Ryan Whitney, who, who you know, was kind of that silver spoon kid growing up who was a very, very skilled player at the National Hockey League level, made a lot of money, has a lot of credibility, and then just kind of the, the hard-nosed guy who clawed his way to the top and got all the experiences from the NHL. And, and it's, it's a great mix. I think we're all similar but yet different in a lot of areas. And, and I don't know. It just it, it took off, and, and I think that uh, I think people are enjoying it. And, and I think given what hockey fans, what they pay for tickets and, and you know, how, how expensive it is to take your family, I think it's nice. And I think that they deserve to hear and get 
entertainment for free and hear about all these guys' personalities and stories from behind the scenes. Because then they're going to find out how, you know, wacky and, and down to earth some of these guys really are. Well, see, but that brings me to the point that I wanted to bring through all of this is the National Hockey League has always been, and you touched on it, Rick's touched, we've all touched on this, that hockey players are brought up to be team-oriented guys, no me, 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 it's all, you know, we, 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 and it's all team-oriented, so there's no, there's no sort of standing out and making these outlandish statements like a basketball player would do or some of these baseball players and stuff like that when it's all about, you know, self-promotion, and the league's had its no doubt had its cast of characters with the Ronicks and Hulls and Luangos and Averys and all that of the world view and all these guys. Do you think like, and when I listen to your podcast, what I find interesting, like, even though I know a lot of hockey players and, and guys' personalities, but when you hear a guy like Scott Gomez come on there, I would never in a million years dreamt a guy like that would have the stories and the personality that he carried forward. And this guy was so down to earth and so humble in the way he talked and told stories. He had me in stitches the whole podcast and this guy, this guy should have his own show and he's just one of the dozens. So the point being is, is this NHL, like they've got to behind the scenes be applauding you guys because this is what everybody says National Hockey League is missing, personality. Like PK Subban tries to do it a, to a certain degree. Yeah, I, you know, see, see where I'm going with this is this is something I think the next stage the NHL has to get to. Would you not agree? Yeah, and I, I think, that uh, we have our own little bubble and it, it's you also got to keep everybody happy and that's what's so hard hard with corporate brands now is you know we have some people who, who don't like our podcasts and don't like what we talk about and in, in some of the subjects we do focus on um yeah but it, it you know it's uh we're we're just trying to grow the game and and i think that uh when people become just as excited about the personalities as they do as the product on the ice, it just puts your product that much more over the top. So I don't know, I don't know what their feelings are, but you know, we're, we're grateful that they've been supportive of us and and we want to keep this thing going. We want, we want to get hockey to the place where it's worldwide and where it's being played in China and, and where it's being played, you know, all these different places that it's not being played and, and, and it's to the size of, of the NBA. Maybe yeah. even, who knows, the NFL, which that's a, that's a mega ship. Well, I mean, if it takes off in China, who knows what the possibilities are there, you know? Exactly. The population. So, I mean. Biz, as you were saying, like, you guys have just kind of taken off and everything. But, and you played in the ECHL. Earlier this year, you know how everything shut down in ECHL. The guys didn't get paid the last three weeks. And I give you guys a lot of credit for for. Uh, initiating the, uh, the fund to help these guys get paid. And of course, my son's one of them, so I'm happy about that. But uh, it's not just about that, it's about just put, like the thought of you guys just going ahead and doing that. I, to me, I th- thought was, was unbelievable. And uh, uh, but so that tells me that you've never really forgotten where you came from and how you got there. Uh, for you to go out and, and take that initiative. Yeah, so so what you're alluding to is when this all got shut down, the ECHL, where your your son was playing at the time, um, they 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 were the first ones to cancel everything because the owners yeah. in that league they have to pay for the apartments. It just didn't look didn't look like there was light at the end of the tunnel. And unfortunately, it's the type of league where you know these guys don't have guaranteed contracts and i at at the time it was uncertain whether they were going to be paid their last three weeks 
Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, started my professional career in the ECHL. I was fortunate enough to be on an entry level contract where I had teammates that were making, you know, $250 after taxes a week. And I know what these guys go through in the summertime because they don't get paid throughout the summertime. And some of them, you know, are so passionate about hockey, but yet they can't afford training and or the proper, you know, supplies in order to get themselves to that AHL level and or the NHL level. And I, I talk about the ECHL quite a bit on my podcast and I'm actually grateful. I got to spend uh, uh, close to two years there because it was, it was silly. You know, we were staying at the motel sixes and, and, you know, guys, you know, guys were doing it strictly for the love of it. And because I'd spent time there and I know what I'd imagine a lot of those guys are going through, especially when they heard they weren't going to be getting their paychecks. And that's not even talking about guys who have wife and kids to worry about. I figured guys, let's, let's try to raise a little bit of money here. Um, we'll get some sponsors together. We'll release some of the interviews that we've done. We'll do it in video form on YouTube. And I think with, with the GoFundMe and all the sponsors together and, and also uh, he'll, he's not going to be happy that I say this. Dubas, GM for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, he reached out and he said, hey, we want to help out. He donated money as well. We had one of our fans who's from Denver who, who wrote a check for 10K, just some random guy who's got money. So I think collectively i think we're going to get close to maybe a hundred thousand we're at least over 80 grand and and i think that all the players are going to see every dime that they should have for that last three weeks and hey if we can do our part to help whatever it, it, it was it was cool to do it was fun the fans got something out of it and of course thank you to the sponsors as well budweiser bud light boykies dhm detox and, and can i brands were the were all the the five sponsors so any of, the, any of the viewers or listeners want to make a contribution, can they still do that? Is there somewhere they can go? Yeah, they can go to the Barstool website. I think we still have the GoFundMe up, and, and uh, anybody can go donate. And, and listen, it's, it's a very difficult time. That's why it was great to get sponsors on board um, because we understand a lot of people, you know, either got furloughed and or lost their jobs to, to the, what's going on with COVID. So it, we didn't necessarily want to, to, to ask a lot of people for money, but hey, for those of you who have been fortunate out there, if you want to chip in and help these guys out who provide entertainment at a, a lower level, go ahead and do so. Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, I mean, I mean, it's getting near that end where we've been going on here for some time now with you, Biz, but uh, we got to get a couple stories out of you. I know you love to get the stories out of the guys that come on. You had some wild times probably in the minors. Maybe a couple that maybe a couple of your early ones that maybe stood out that might have been fun ones. And Rick, I'm going to come at you too with one. Well, Rick, I, I was telling the ECHL that that the experiences I had. Well, we we in uh, in Wheeling we used to have this sleeper bus, and this thing used to fucking break down all the time, all the time. And of course, we're going to play Johnstown, and uh, luckily we have a booster bus that's following us, and it breaks down halfway on the way to the game and they, they can't fix it. So we have to actually get all the boosters off the booster bus. They help us load all of our bags over into the normal bus. And they sat on the side of the highway and waited until our, our bus was fixed. And they took it to the game where we got there, you know, just in time because they were, they were behind us and they gave us their bus. Yeah. So, the, uh, so th th these fans, man, they're, they're not only loyal and willing to follow us to games at those lower levels, but in a time of need where we would have been late for the game, they even give us their, their booster bus. So that was, uh, that was a wild experience. It's like slap shot. 
it was like it was like slap shot and and those yeah. are the little moments at the ECHL level that that kind of they, they put a little hair on your nuts and to make you appreciate when you get to the NHL and you're on a private jet eating filet that life is very 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 good so what was one of your first uh, NHL stories that kind of would have you just going home at night chuckling because again it'd be new to you when you finally get to the show and first kind of bit of a shocker of a story coming home or maybe it didn't shock you well just I mean of course at the NHL level guys are, are making quite a bit of money and uh I'd I spent that first year in the NHL up and down I played I ended up playing 15 games I was probably there for about 35 and I uh, had the chance to play with Evgeny Malkin, as I mentioned. So the following year, I was at training camp, and they'd, uh, they'd gone to the finals and lost to Detroit. And Malkin had an incredible season, hit all these bonuses in his contract. So I'm riding the stationary bike next to him, Rick, in, in training camp. And uh, the PR guy at the time comes over, and he drops off an envelope. And, and uh, Gino, as we call Evgeny Malkin, uh, as he's riding the stationary bike sweating, he peeks in and, and, and you could see a smirk on his face and he puts it in the cup holder. And I kind of, I said, Gino, I said, what is that? And he goes, chick. I said, check, check for what? And he's like, bonus. I said, show me. And he kind of like, uh, and I said, come on, show me. And he handed it over to me and I looked inside of it just shy of a million bucks. I couldn't believe my eyes looking at a check. I thought it was a phone number for, for crying out loud. <laughs> It was, uh, it was, although they are seven digits, but it was just shy of a million bucks. And I said, oh my goodness, these, this, this is the National Hockey League right here. So that, 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 was, a, that was a quirky story that I had. What about you, Rick, the WHA, the NHL? Well, the last, uh, just a little story about how kind of things progressed. And, and my last year in uh, Buffalo, we were going to San Jose. It was San Jose's first year in the league. So we went out there about four days early. And of course we had stopped initiations and the hazing and all that kind of stuff. So what they did was if there was however many rookies they were, they would take the whole team out for dinner and they would pay for it. So we go to this nice restaurant, not too far from the hotel. And there's uh, LaFontaine, myself, Dale Howard, Chuck, and we're, you know, we're all there. And the whole team's there. We have five rookies, I believe at the time. And uh, so anyway, all of a sudden I look and I see a couple of guys are ordering Dom Perignon and, and like $300 bottles of wine. And, and I looked at Dale, talked to Dale and LaFontaine and I stood up and I said, guys, you know, be reasonable. Like, you know, just, I mean, $75 bottle of wine is fine, but not two or 300. And anyway, at the end of the night, the bill still ended up being like, I think it was eight thousand dollars. Oh my goodness! So those five, those five guys had to split that eight thousand dollars. But boy, it was a great meal. <laughs> um, the, guy, shrimp, the shrimp were about that big. <laughs> guys uh, taking advantage of rookie party—that's uh, that's a, a tale as old as time. The the worst one that I heard was Chris Bork, and I thought I want to say it was in Boston when he got called up, and he was the only rookie rookie. And they ended up racking him up for just shy of twenty-five grand. One guy. He oh. was the only rookie on that on the t- now his his father's Ray Bork, so I'd imagine he's probably got a nice trust set up. So I don't think too many yeah. guys are, yeah. are feeling bad for him. 
but oh my some the surf and turf platters the the expensive bottles of wine the louis that i i had a shot of louis the 13th at my rookie party it was in chicago uh but that they they call what do they call it uh, they called it a prairie fire so they get me a shot of louis the 13th but i think I, it was over a hundred dollar shot and they doused the rest of the glass in uh in in tabasco sauce tabasco sauce yeah so i had to oh, shoot yeah, this I thing i I ended up going back over. I got over a good one for you. Oh, Jesus. Light the campfire. You know Darren, you know Darren Pang. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you, you, you work side be, beside him probably a few, a few nights a year. So when I was in Chicago, we're in Hartford, which actually was Springfield because the roof had the uh, – oh, no, we were in Hartford. And uh, so instead of them buying us dinner, we said, okay, we're going to go to the bar and we're going to drink. And the rookies, every, I forget what it was, 15 minutes or half hour, would have to drink a shot of Jägermeister. So one of the guys was chewing tobacco and was spitting in a shot glass and happened to put it on the table. So the waitress comes over with a whole tray of Jägermeisters, puts them all on the table. Time to drink. Panger grabs that glass and swallows it. I never saw a guy run to the bathroom so fast and puked his guts out for about 15 minutes and then came back and then grabbed one and threw it back and said, okay, I'm good now. And Panger, all about what, five foot seven, maybe? He ain't a big guy. I don't know. I don't, oh, he was a great guy, great teammate. Oh, he's awesome. That, uh, oh my goodness, that is disgusting. I'd yeah, imagine there's a lot of people that are uh, that might even be puking out their window in their their pickup truck listening to this right now. That is that is next level, man. Don't well, yeah, want to drink a chew, chew spit. That's not a good one. Well, Biz, just uh, in, in in a wrap here, what is uh, what's on the horizon for you? Like, are you going to be doing any traveling during the playoffs? Well, so well, I got to call. You go, like, what's that? Oh, uh, what's that? Go. I got to take I got to take Wit on in a, in a game of golf too. Oh, hey, are you, you any good? You any good, Rick? Uh, I'm a five. Oh shit! Oh my god, I'm like a twenty-five. Uh, Wits, Wits, probably like a two or three. Wits getting really good. Um, yeah, we'll have to do a sandbagger with you. I, we do these sandbagger Absolutely. invitational. But the, what's on the horizon is I got to call the Coyote games. We're going to be doing so at a Gila River in um, Glendale, Arizona. We're going to watch it on the jumbotron, and of course, yeah. call the games that are happening in Edmonton. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, once, uh, if the coyotes make a deep run, I'll be here. If, if they're eliminated at some point, I'm going to head over to Boston. We're going to get a bunch of live interviews and, and we're going to do a bunch of podcasts and just really be watching all this hockey. And, and, oh, I, I hope this thing gets off the ground because I need some form of entertainment and, and hockey does it for me. So we're going to look to expand on video content, more podcasts and, and, you know, just, just like we talked about earlier, Rick, just keeping the mind busy. Well, that's awesome, uh, Biz. We want to uh, thank you. You've been a great guest, some great stories, and uh, loved having you on, and thanks for taking the time with us today. And uh, best of luck going forward. And maybe we'll see you at the Sandbagger Open when you come up here. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe you, maybe you could car- carry Rick's bag. I don't know how good you are. Oh, maybe no, 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 no. I'll, I'll be playing. I'll match up with you. Oh, you're pretty good, too? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm about like you. Okay, perfect. You and I, would be, you and I will be even. That'll be a good match off then. That's awesome. But see, I the the difference is is all get inside Wit's head. 
See, that's that that ain't hard. That he's a bit of a mental <laughs> well, midget, but oh man, that's you know what? I mean, that that's what age does. To you. It gives you all that that uh, wisdom, and and I get I know what things to say to get inside of his head and everything else. So, and I learned a lot of that when I played too. I'll have so. him give you a noogie so he messes up your hair. Maybe that'll throw off your game. <laughs> Okay, well, guys, we want to give a big shout-out and thanks to Paul Bizanet, uh, Biz Nasty, for coming on and enlightening us on the world of spit and chiclets and the social media world, which is a little above the heads of me and my uh, partner, uh, Squid. Uh, we're new to it. We're, uh, we're filtering along. We're doing the best we can. But, uh, boy, oh, boy, it's certainly taken a life of its own. And he definitely is a character, isn't he? We, we love this guy. Yeah, I shall tell you, he's uh... – He's one of those guys that, that you, you just love because, first of all, he had to, he started in the ECHL and made his way all the way to the National Hockey League. He had to change what he was as a player to get there as well. And it's not easy for a lot of guys to do that, Mike. I mean, a lot of guys coming out of junior and they think, okay, I'm good enough. I'm this. I can just keep playing the same way. No, he realized that he had to do something different in order to move up leagues, and he did exactly that. And then after that, he's branded himself so well and done so well with the spit and chiclets and, and probably a lot of other things. He does the color for the coyotes. and I mean, he's really branded himself extremely well and uh, made himself one of the most popular people uh, in, in hockey. Well, what people don't understand, and I think this is the thing that, you know, like, you know, the little bit of insights we get to this is the fact that, you know, not everybody, you know, you're a first-round draft pick, you're an underage uh, 18-year-old player in the WHA, you know, making good money and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's not all like that. I mean, it's, it's more along the lines. You take, as I've always said, if you take the half, top half dozen guys off every hockey club and you put the rest of them all on the hat, they'd probably come out the same on every hockey club. And <laughs> I, I, you know, if you really, if you look at it, though, it could be like that. And I mean, you've played with a lot of guys over your years and you've run into a lot of guys who just, you know, just made it, hung in, up and down, all over the place. Brucey Boudreau is one of those type of guys. Would you say that Biz was probably the quintessential pro? I mean, he's honest about his talent, hardworking, appreciative for the opportunity. But the point you made, and I, I talked about this last week, was the fact that you know, these guys have to go through expectations, reality, and survivorship. Mm -hmm. And the reality is the hardest part for these guys when they arrive at that rink for their first camp. And every guy in the room is the same as them. Oh, there's no question. Reality sets in real quick where all of a sudden it's like you're looking around and you're going, well, I played against all these guys. They're pretty darn good. You know, I'm going to have to do something to, to make this team. But he fits in with a group of not all that many players uh, that, that came out of junior hockey, let's say, that did what he did. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stubborn guys coming out of junior hockey that were, let's face it, a lot of guys in the NHL were always the best players on their teams growing up, all through minor hockey, even yeah. junior hockey. But, but all of a sudden, you got to develop yourself in a different role in order to stay. It's one thing to get there. But it's another thing to stay and survive. Well, so he fits into a, a small, and I would say very, a, a very small group of players who realized that they had to do something else in order to advance and stay there for as long as he did uh, and make himself, well, 
he made himself a name in the National Hockey League too. I mean, that's the thing. He came out of the National Hockey League with, you know, most of the people in Canada knew who he was, you know, because he was also already on social media. He was already doing lots of crazy things. And, you know, so kudos to him because he fits into a very small group of people that were capable of stepping in and, and realizing that, yeah, you know, I'm a good player, but I got to do something more. I got to do something different if I want to stay here. And he did that. Well, and the league's full of good players. So, you know, you've got, as you said, you got to find a way to survive. No, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. that's the whole thing. So I think the thing, one of the things I think that these guys have done, and they've done exceptionally, is given the NHL, and we touch on it in, his, in the interview with him about the branding. And I think the, the one knock on the players is today is, you know, Sidney Crosby's so boring and he doesn't, he goes to the rink, skates, plays, eats dinner with the guys and goes home and plays video games. You know, these basketball players and all that, these guys are all pointing, banging their chest that they're the best and he's terrible, this guy's terrible, I'm this, I'm that. And they've never heard the word we. But as people say, that's great for them because they've made a brand for themselves. It's good for the game because everybody plugs in to see what these guys are going to say. And it's good for the NBA, whereas NHL is so boring. Like, it's almost like they're crying out, please, somebody be a bit controversial so you can get us some airtime. So I think where these guys have taken it is that they are now letting players that, you know, I mentioned Scotty Gomez on the air, on the interview, guys like that coming on and telling the stories and expressing themselves as hockey players that people can relate to is given this whole new network of exposure to fans that the NHL has been never, ever been exposed to before. And I, I would say that behind closed doors, they're doing cartwheels, that these guys are putting that out there and encouraging others to do the same, like us. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree with that. Although, you know, I look at hockey players differently, and I don't know if I'm correct in, in the numbers or anything, but, but there's so many players from Canada even from the U.S., that grew up in small towns. Some of them, like Matthews, Arizona. Imagine how much travel he did as a kid playing hockey and how much money it costs for him to play hockey all the way through. Absolutely. But he stuck with it, you know. And I think because most of the players, even Europe, they come from small towns in Europe, you know, and they're grounded. They, 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 they grow up with good values. And, and I think that's what the National Hockey League is. And I, you know, nothing against the other leagues, except they're different, you know, and they're big personalities. Whereas I think the hockey players, they want a little bit of privacy and they want, uh, they don't want their pictures and videos all over the place when they're out eating or anything like that. They like to stay low key. And uh, I don't have a problem with it. I'll be quite honest with you, Mike, because, I mean, you know, the, the other leagues do enough of it. You know, we, we don't have to join in. I mean, it would be nice if there were a few more characters in the league. Yes, I, I totally agree that it would kind of spice up the league a little bit. Uh, but I wouldn't want to see them become what the basketball, the football, and baseball players do because I like the way they are. They, they're grounded, they got good values, and they go out and they entertain us every Saturday night and Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, whatever night, whatever night they're playing. And uh, so I, I like that. 
Well, I know. I, I listen. I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I'm all about. Uh, you know, if you want entertainment, I'll go to a comedy club. As you know, as we've said before, we. Yeah. But there is there's something you said about social media exposure, and the basketball players have done an awesome job at that. They and everybody's created their own identity in baseball, football, all the other sports, even tennis players to a degree. You've got golfers doing the same thing now. Like all these other sports are all doing it. And I have no problem with the NHL themselves. But you're right. It's more. And I know I get in trouble with this one, but hockey's such more of a team first concept that you know it's tough oh. to get that out of the players. So for these guys expressing themselves, the retired guys, it's just bring a whole new generation of younger fans to that demographic to appreciate what the guys have gone through. And I think, look, even Calgary's new arena, the proposal there is to put in a room for gamers that can play games during the game. I, I this, uh, this is what's happening. This is the way the world seriously? is going with. I mean, think about that. You know, there's gambling. I, when oh. I went to New Jersey, when I followed the Leafs, in-house gambling. Williams Hill had an in-house gambling site. You can bet right on site. Well, you can't turn money over, but they give you a website, right? Like a, a app to go right there on your phone and take a rate on the spot. So, I mean, this is the world is changing all around us that way. Hockey does have to play catch up to a degree, but on this small scale that we're seeing with podcasts and being out there, this is the way the world's going. And I, and I think they're embracing it, but they don't want the real characters because hockey players have a tendency to police themselves and that, that's never going to go. Yeah. Right. I think you're right. And you know, they're, but they're getting guys on for the, you know, the, these guys have great stories. Uh, I got a ton of great stories from, from my past playing and everything. At times were so much different than they are now. So, you know, going on their podcast and telling those great stories, funny stories is, is hilarious. And it, it gives people insight into what went on in those times because there wasn't, they didn't know what was going on back then because there, the visibility was not there that there is today. And, uh, you know, the other thing with today's players, you don't hear them talking about themselves on social media. If they're talking about anything, they're talking about a teammate, you know, or the team, or, I mean, it's all about we. It's not anything about me. And, uh, and I, I kind of like that, to be quite honest with you. I mean, uh, I don't like people talking about, uh, like, there was a big state about uh, – Hughes uh, coming out saying that you know yep. he's the best rookie, yep. and you know he took a lot of heat about that. And uh, you know that's one of the things that you just don't you don't do, and you don't see hockey players doing that. And that's one of the things I love about the game that I got to play at the highest level for 13 years is that the people are grounded, have great morals, and they think me, not me, and. We're in a, a me, me world right now, not we. We're in a me, me world. People come out of college and instead of starting here, you know, where most people used to when you come out of high school or college back in the day, they want to start up here yeah. and they want to start there yesterday. <laughs> you know, not, 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 in, not in five, ten years. They want it yesterday. And uh, it's unfortunate that the world is becoming like that, but hey, I find hockey players different, and I like it. Hey, listen, that's why they're the best in the world, I and mean, that's why we love the game. Games are going to be yeah. starting in a couple of days. 
Uh, as usual, time is not our friend, so we've got to take a wrap here. So folks, we want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, you can reach us at uh, Rick Vibe on Instagram. We are excited to announce that we now have a Twitter account, Squid ULF. So it's Squid Ultimately Fan, but our handle is at Squid ULF. Everything will be posted there. Watch for updates on uh, the Leafs, on uh, you know this day in history. We're going to be reporting some things, and we're going to throw all kinds of different stuff out there. We still have our Instagram account, the Ultimate Leafs Fan, Rick Five. Uh, go to YouTube channel that we're going to we have uh, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. You can watch the video on this part also. So we got lots of ways to connect us. Send us some of your questions and your comments. Love to hear from you guys. We'll have a surprise guest again next week. Ricky's got one more thing he wants to say. And I would like to do, now that we have the Twitter page and yeah. we're both on Instagram and everything, and people know we could put that out on our Instagram and our Twitter yeah. where the length that they could go. I'd like to do a show where we bring three or four guys on where people can actually come in and ask questions. And uh, they would have to go through a moderator of some yeah. sort to, to ask their questions. To certain players, and uh, I think that would be a fun uh, podcast. Actually, that's a great idea, and that's actually something we will discuss, and we'll, we will uh, we will have that, and we'll have a pen, and maybe we'll throw it out there, uh, and we'll uh, we'll discuss that for an upcoming show in the next uh, few weeks. That's a great idea. Maybe once the playoffs get halfway through or around it, we can have lots of comments on that. But terrific idea. But in the meantime, guys, watch for us. Uh, this will be out in a couple of days. Um, it'll be out for a few days, pardon me, before our next one comes out next week. We'll talk to you then. Okay. Signing off. Okay.